Welcome in to the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Shaver, joined by Brian Christofferson here on Monday after yet another Nebraska football game that didn't go how anyone truly wanted, even though there was, you know, that brief moment of hope where it's like, is this the is this the Saturday where it all just sort of comes together and Nebraska is staked to an early lead against a foe that always seems to beat them? And this is the time that they just finish a game on the field and there is no hiccup. No, it was not that on Saturday. There's plenty of hiccups. And who better to go through all of it than Brian Christopherson? And noticeably absent today because of too much partying after a game that will not be discussed on this podcast is Michael Brunts. Uh, you can find your Broncos talk somewhere else. We are moving on very quickly. Brian, how you doing here on Monday? Yeah, we don't need to talk about that game on Sunday night. Um but well, I, I suppose we do have to talk about that game Saturday night. It, it was a it was a fascinating game, and actually, it was a it was a pretty interesting press conference on Monday too, because it it hit on three or four different topics of significance, probably. But uh, yeah, I'm doing well. I didn't answer your question. I got through that, and then I didn't I didn't even answer what you asked me. I'm doing pretty well. Health is all right. Okay. Good, good. That's what we want to hear. I mean, we're heading into uh, I don't know the Super Bowl week of our season, given all of the stuff that's going on uh, this week alone. You know, we cram as many sporting events and as many things as possible and throw in my, personally, my favorite holiday of the year uh, on Thursday, just to, you know, balance it all out. So, uh, you know, there's no shortage of things going on here with Husker 24-7. And of course, we'll be talking about basketball on the basketball podcast. If you're not familiar, there's yep. a Husker 24-7 hoops cast. That'll be on Tuesday morning. We will dive into a thrilling uh, win in Sioux Falls. But this one today is to discuss Nebraska's latest loss in Madison, Nebraska's latest overtime loss. Shout out us, Summer Overtime Podcast, to get the people mm. prepared for what they saw yet again on Saturday night. Let's start at the ending, Brian. At any point, did you think when Nebraska walked out to midfield at the end of regulation that they were going to win in overtime? Um, I gave it like a 45% chance they would win in overtime. You're talking about at the coin flip was what yeah, was my percentage? It, you know, like yeah. they, they made the field goal. The game is over. We're going to overtime. Mm -hmm. You've now reset yourself. It's sudden death, essentially. Uh, not really, I guess, alternating possessions, but still, I mean, in the terms of how Nebraska plays, it's basically sudden death. I was at like a 7% chance that they could win that game in overtime. Uh, once they did not take the lead in regulation. I, it just the way the game flow had gone, the fact I thought they were pretty lucky to get mm. Wisconsin off the field as often as they did in the second half offensively without giving up an additional score. Uh, and I just didn't have a lot of confidence in their special teams, in their offensive play calling, all of it uh, in overtime. And I, I was rewarded for my skepticism. But what – what did you what did you see in that final drive, the final four plays, or yeah, final four plays? What what kind of stood out to you? Uh, just kind of about Nebraska's game there and Nebraska's overtime possession offensively. Well, start on the defense with that. Uh, it felt like they had, um, like okay, I was forty five percent when the overtime began, and then after two plays of it was probably like up to 55%. You know, if you're needle switching after every play, uh, you know, Nebraska has Wisconsin facing a third down and eight and you're thinking to yourself, okay, if they can just get off the field right here, 
force a kick. Who knows? Maybe he misses it, something like that. But at the least, it's only three points. Uh, things are looking pretty good. Um, what was unfortunate, just going through the whole overtime, was that third and eight, uh, Mordecai had just all the time he wanted on that one. And it just it it just felt bad from the snap the whole play. Like it seemed like, okay, somebody, nobody's getting home here. Uh, he's going to find someone. And sure enough, someone settled down and found a n- nice nine yard catch. But then, you know, you got him again, like third and 10 and you're thinking, okay, hold him to three. And who knows, you know, you're, you're feeling pretty good. If you do that. Um, I wondered if there should have been a tripping call on Braylon. There Allen. absolutely when, should have been a tripping call. You I can mean, it's just blatant point. unless, Unless we're pretending Braylon Allen is doing leg lifts in the middle of the field here, uh, you know, during the game, just to kind of keep himself stretched out while he's on his ass. There's there's nothing athletically that would make sense for him to lift his leg in the air and make contact with Nick Hendricks there. There's not a <laughs> single athletic reason beyond blatantly tripping him in the middle of the field in front of the official. Didn't cost Nebraska the game, but well, get another have. call. Yet another call the Big Ten officiating crew has blown against Nebraska this year. I'll leave it at that. It might have cost them the game. There were a lot of other things, but it was one of them. Because um, that was second and ten, and what a play by Henrich. I mean, he just steamrolled over Allen and should have drawn a flag, and that would have brought the ball back to the 29. It would have been a tough field goal, probably. Mm-hmm. Pro- probably not a touchdown for Wisconsin on that possession. So it was a big call. Um, but, yeah, that – that whole sequence, I felt like the defense um, for, you know, four or five plays had the upper hand. And then there was that scramble on the the third down by by Mordecai. And, and then it's, of course, a fourth and one where Nebraska was close to the stop. If they get it there, um, you know, they, they probably win the game. So they, they had opportunities with their defense, which has been a strong suit all year. Um, after Wisconsin scored, I, it was pretty bleak. And I I should have started off. And I don't want to beat the dead horse. We can get it. We'll get into it because Rule talked about the clock management thing at the end of regulation. Oh, we'll get into it. I, I was, there's a reason I didn't want to start with it, though. I well, I know it's been beat to death already now. So I'm, but I I was kind of stewing about how Nebraska handled the last minute over, like in the corner, the whole overtime. I was like, what? Why did they not give themselves all their plays? So yeah, that was where my mind was as this is all happening. Um. So then on offense, um, it just felt like all odds were against him. Then you're going into that. Uh, if people are familiar with Camp Randall Stadium, you're going into the bowl of the stadium, which is where all the students are. And they were pumping in music like right up until the snap. It was really loud and, and tough to operate. And uh, I wasn't surprised that a false start popped up with all the noise and everything. And then they needed a good first down. Like they needed that play to be one where you get like six yards and you're kind of like, okay, we're in business here. We're going to answer you. And when they lost the one or whatever on the option play, I was thinking like, this is just bad news. Um, so it's, it was just another disappointing offensive possession. It's amazing. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. We did it on our overtime podcast in the summer. You know, they, they've gone backwards in like six or seven overtimes. Um, on their offensive drives. And so it's it's become something that's um, incredible. That's baggage that we have that this staff doesn't. But um, certainly it was on Nebraska fans' mind as they uh, watched that uh, you know OT transpire. It just kind of felt like something we'd seen before. Yeah, well, uh, 
<laughs> we certainly have. Um, with, with the offensive play calling, I guess the option there was such an interesting call to me because I didn't, I don't know if, what they were hoping to catch him in exactly. And then just how uncomfortable it looked when it was ran is a reminder that this isn't really the offense they want to be calling or running. And yet it's in a critical moment, your first down play in overtime, it's where they went. And I just, I would love to, and obviously Marcus Satterfield will talk on Tuesday and we'll, you know, see what he has to say about it. But I would love to know what the rationale, like if it, it seems to me that it was like a, we think we're going to catch him in something here. And it just clearly did not work. The same with the, you know, very different play, very different time of the game. It felt like Nebraska was very confident they were going to catch Wisconsin with that Jalen Lloyd reverse. And it just did not work. And the margin for Nebraska, Brian, is so thin all the time that it just seems like if something goes against them offensively, if they are off schedule, even to the slightest degree, a one-yard loss on first down, it is such an uphill battle for them to get going. And so then, you know, I already, like I said, I didn't have a lot of confidence before. Wisconsin scores a touchdown. Nebraska loses a yard. And then at that point, it's just like, okay, you know, what are you, what's, what's the plan here? What are you going to do? And then it just sort of, you know, falls apart at that point. So it It, is a, uh, it feels predictable on some levels, but I don't, I don't understand. And it's not just like, it's only uh, Marcus Satterfield here. Nebraska's last handful of offensive coordinators and Scott Frost in overtime. It's just like go forward with the football. Like there's so many like horizontal plays and Danny Langstorp ran one of the worst in the era of which Nebraska never completed a halfback screen. They ran like a negative seven yard one against Northwestern on like first or second down. Like it's just, uh, I, I, I just do not understand. Like I would think in overtime, you're calling the plays that you feel the most confident in that you have run the most your bread and butter and that option with your third string quarterback that has barely practiced all year and probably has run very few of those just struck me as a bizarre decision. I have been largely yeah. defending of Marcus Satterfield, given everything around him. That play call has no defense for me at all. It's not like you have Jamal yeah. Ward there. Well, yeah, it, I, I would agree with you mostly. I mean, it, it's one of those calls where they, they must've thought, um, it was it's in their back pocket. They hadn't run it a lot in that game or at all. I don't, I don't remember. think they had run an option at all to that. So, point. so that's probably what, I mean, it's a little bit of a thinking, like they, they probably did think they were going to bust them on it. Like you're going to, it's going to be like, okay, they're expecting you're going to go with Emmett up the middle or whatever. And um, you take it outside and you get that pitch and you're hoping the guy turns a corner and like makes 10 yards or a house call or something like that. Um, I don't know. I'd have to watch it back a few times. If there was any pass option off of it, I don't remember if there was. Um, we were in the other corner of the end zone. Um, but yeah, it just it it's there are certain plays in football where um, it does take some cojones in a way to call them because if they don't work, um, they're easy to like say, why the heck would you do that? And that's one of those plays. So um, I just felt like after Wisconsin scored, Nebraska did the right thing when they won the toss and took the ball second. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that's what you always do unless you're Colorado, which doesn't know the overtime rules. And so they take the ball first. Um, that was a needless jab, but it, I still remember that. The fan base appreciates you. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, you, you take the ball second all the time. In this re- weird case, like there, 
it would have almost been advantageous to have the ball first because you just had your offense on the field and they kind of had some stuff working and you uh, had Wisconsin won the toss. Um, you would have got the ball first, but you would have been playing in the other end of the stadium. Not as noisy. There would have been some factors that would have actually been beneficial to Nebraska. Um, so it kind of worked against them in a way that they won the toss when it's all said and done. Easy to say after the fact had Nebraska stopped them on third down on defense. You don't say that at all, but um, that's what we do two days later. We talk about things like that. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like by the time the offense got on the field, no matter what they called, you know how like on first drives of games in a tough environment, it's like always hard for the most part. Like if the crowd's really into it, which this crowd wasn't, but they were at the end. Um, it's tough to get anything going because the defense is so amped up. That's how it felt like to me when Nebraska is with that scenario that they were down seven now having to get anything done. Um, it was going to be tough. So um, Purdy was going to have to make a throw at some point and a receiver was going to have to make a great catch or something like that. I felt like to move the chains and um, we'll get to Purdy. I liked a lot about his game, but just in that moment, throws were a little off and you have some young receivers trying to make really tough plays. And some of them, you know, um, it, it would have been any of them would have been extraordinary catches or tough throws to make because uh, the, the odds were against them after the fall start penalty. Yeah, I I will say, and you rewatched it uh, and would have a better vantage point than my memory of watching it in the hotel bar, but the Jalen Lloyd one, it felt like he slightly mistimed his jump there. Uh, and if that ball was a little bit lower, I think that was a third down play. Uh, if that ball was a little bit lower and he times his jump a little bit better, I mean, he he's there. I mean, he's, mm. I mean, he's a hell of an athlete. I mean, I, yeah. I am so in on Jalen Lloyd's development as a receiver right now and so excited about his future. Uh, and that, you know, that was one where when it was in the air and I saw him going up, I'm like, are we going to, like, is this going to be like an all-time leaping catch here from a Nebraska yeah. receiver? And it was just so high, he could only really get one hand on it, just kind of deflected himself. Yeah, he had a shot at it. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm big on Jalen too. He came into the post game. He was one of the players that talked. And th- this is hard. I mean, no one likes this because it's a loss, but he took, you could tell he took it extremely hard that they had lost the game. And some people be like, well, isn't that obvious? Not always. I've seen guys, especially young players, who um, you just don't see the pain from a game like that. And uh, you saw it from him. He's a guy who wants to be special and he wants the program to be special. And uh, he was hard on himself for not making a really tough play in a tough moment. And um, that's the kind of thing you like. You can get places with players like that. And so if you want to have some optimism after all that, I do think they have some young guys on offense who are built that way. They're going to need to figure out QB and all that stuff. But yeah, there was a chance that, you know, that ball could have maybe been caught and and you keep that thing going. So I, I've, I just felt like, the opportunity was really missed at the beginning though, on defense, like it, that's your strength of your team. And you had a few, uh, you know, two or three plays where the game probably could have swung your way if you make it. And Wisconsin got all of them, you know, they batted a, they batted a thousand on it. And so there, there you go. Yeah. Uh, real quickly, let's get into the time management thing. Um, we haven't talked about it a lot. It, Matt rule did speak about it. Uh, yeah. But we'll we'll hold off on what Rule had to talk about after the break. But just um, your thoughts on his explanation 
Well, I guess he reiterated it. So let's just let's just do it all right now. What he had to say, what you saw, <laughs> what was out there, um, all of it. I know for me, his explanation rings a little hollow when you're concerned about the other team getting the ball and driving and kicking a field goal to win. I understand you're trying to do two things. You're trying to run the clock down enough that when you score, there's no chance for them to do anything. And yet at the same time, just like in the Maryland game, there's a part of me that wants him to step outside of like, oh no, what about the other team? And just like, what is best for my offense and my team in this moment right now? And I don't think if you, if you truly think about it, I don't think that you can worry about what Wisconsin was going to do with their possession. There's too much what if of, oh, if they got the ball and there's 55 seconds or there's 37 seconds and they only needed to go 40 some yards or whatever it was. If, if they can do that and your defense gives it up, you deserve to lose. You didn't finish the game out as you wanted. I felt like they needed to be more aggressive there. I thought they had the momentum. I thought they needed to take a couple shots at it. I understand that they had just lost to Maryland in, in a similar fashion, but a very different set of circumstances. It just felt odd to me. And then the explanation of being worried about, well, if you leave too much time, they can go down and score. Okay but at least give yourself a chance to win the damn game. Like, I, I don't know. I it, He said he'd like the timeout at the 30-second mark. I feel like it should have been at the 40-second mark. I mean, enough was going to happen after that. And if Tanner Mordecai could beat you in 22 seconds down the field, needing to go 50 yards mm. for your college kicker, just tip the cap and take the loss. But you've got to be more aggressive in that scenario. And I understand third-string quarterback, limited reps, all of it. But man, it just feels like, Nebraska cannot decide if they're going to be conservative, if they're going to be aggressive. It's like Matt Rule yet doesn't have a good feel for who his team is. And with all of the injuries, it's understandable. It just felt like a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Uh, Emmett Johnson went down with uh, with 51 seconds left. So it would have been um, third and two there. And I, I agree with you. I would have taken the timeout with like 35 to 40 seconds if it were me. I'm not making the big bucks. That's what I would have done. And the reason why I would have done that is they were in a favorable down and distance setup um, of third and two. If it was like third down and six or seven, I would have more understood like if you wanted to milk the clock a little bit. Um, but they were in an advantageous spot to get the first down, which they did on the Chubba Purdy run of six yards to the 12. If you had like 30 to 35 seconds left after the Purdy first down at the 12, um, not only can you run all three plays, but you actually could run anything. You could have been conservative still, and uh, you could have run Emmett Johnson and hoped he get, got five yards on first down, and then it opens up things uh, at second and five at the seven or whatever. Um, so that's why I, I just felt like when you short yourself two opportunities to win it right then and there, um, it's disappointing to me. And so that's why... Um, I disagreed with it. I still do. I, I understand this. I think this is a staff that thinks through that stuff pretty thoroughly. And um, I just happen to really disagree with the one that decision they made um, this Saturday. Now the third and seven pass against Maryland. I disagreed with that one too. And for that moment in that, that team and that quarterback who'd been on scout team all week, but that one is more understandable to me because third and seven is a natural passing down in a lot of cases. 
And um, I don't have a real problem with pushback on that. They threw a pass there um, and it didn't work out. And you can't always go about resulting as rule says, like you still have to go with what you think is right in that moment. So I'm not one who's extremely down on what they did against Maryland. Um, I was pretty down on what they did in the last minute against Wisconsin. Cause I just, yeah, like I say, you just, you just gave up two opportunities. Also when, when there was only 13 seconds left and it was first and 10 at the 12, Wisconsin knows you have to throw the ball, you know, at that point into the end zone. And so it makes it very easy for them defensively. If you have 30 to 35 seconds left, yep. they have a lot to think about. Um, and you know, as much football as you watch, like one of the hardest spots on the field is to score between like the 11 and the 15. And that's where you need a couple downs usually because and you need a couple that. dudes, you need guys. And yeah. Nebraska did not have that necessarily yeah. on the field. So you have to admit that. Yes. But that's where, if you had the extra downs, you have the opportunity on first or second down to, uh, to move the ball forward a little bit where you're more in that like five to six yard area where, you know, then anything can happen if you have the right play and, and all that. So, yeah, I, I wrote about it after the game and at this point it, it, what's done is done and it's all been said and he laid it out and he told the team he wishes he had one more play than they ran. Um, I wish they had two more plays than they ran, but that the, the way it worked out is, is what it is. And there's no guarantee they would have scored a touchdown. I just felt like, I thought they had Wisconsin on their heels a little bit after the Purdy scramble and all that. And it, it just kind of let them off, off, yep. off, you know, it, they had the advantage with the clock. And as a football fan, don't you always think like when you're watching the Vikings, um, like there's certain times where you're like, I hope the team doesn't do this, or I hope they don't go for it here. And you're kind of hoping they do something, you know, go. And, um, that was a moment where what Nebraska did, if I'm a Wisconsin fan or whatever, I'm saying, thank you. You know, like, th thanks for that. Like, thanks for the assist there. So that that's, that's what I think about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we're putting it in the context of the Vikings, there's a lot of thoughts I have that are probably going to be different than uh, the conventional process because whatever Minnesota tries to do tends to go opposite and pear shaped. It's kind of, you know, like I watched the same game on Sunday and Saturday in some ways, but we'll, We'll spare the people that, and instead we'll give the people a short time out here. When we come back, we'll get into more thoughts from Matt Rule, including uh, is there going to be some staff changes, and not necessarily because he's moving on from somebody, but could Tony White have opportunities ahead in his future? Matt Rule had thoughts on that. Of course, you know, we can't just rehash Wisconsin. Iowa's coming as well. Uh, what did Matt Rule have to say about the game coming up on Friday? All of that and more when we return here on the Husker 24-7 podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, so I mentioned Tony White is appearing on several uh, several hot lists for for coaches, um, you know that uh, for opportunities. San Diego State is open, Syracuse is open, UCLA could be open. 
a number of positions are expected to to, to open up at some point. And Tony White is going to be a name that uh, is is going to be on these. He had a fantastic year here so far with Nebraska. He's a, I believe, Brian a Broyles candidate um, as well for top uh, assistant coordinator in the country. And so there's a lot of notoriety and people are interested. And, you know, even if, if it's not necessarily a head coaching job, whoever takes the UCLA job might look at what Tony White did in his one year at the Big Ten and try to bring him back to his alma mater to be the defensive coordinator there because UCLA is joining the Big Ten. So that's something to, to keep an eye on as well. What did Matt Rule have to say about this speculation? Because it's sort of unique, Brian. I can't remember, you know, a head coach talking about his coordinators and inviting people to interview him. Granted, Nebraska hasn't yeah. had a lot of coordinators that have probably deserved head coaching opportunities either in recent years. Yeah, and the, and as much as we disagreed with their clock management at the end of it, um, and I'll get to that answer, but I I I actually believe in the staff quite a bit. And um, rule, um, I think in situations like this, one thing I really appreciate about him, you can talk about it and he will have really good answers. And he's not, he's not like one of those head coaches. that's like, Oh, let's put this in the corner. You know, like for instance, when the clock management thing came up, it was, um, you know, generally kind of asked about handling those situations. And he said, we're talking about how I should have taken a timeout earlier. Right. You know, like he kind of gets right to the middle of it. And so like on this Tony white thing, it, it's the same way. It's like, yeah, it's out there. Why would, you know, here you go. He deserves it. If, if he gets a head coaching opportunity, basically his advice to his guys though, is, you know, don't jump at the wrong job, you know, make sure the commitment meet meets the expectations. You know, there's two or three things you got to check off to make sure that's the right job for you. Because if you're as gifted as I think Tony white is, and I think Matt rule thinks he is, there are going to continue to be opportunities. And so it's got to be the right opportunity. And, um, you know, don't just jump into the deep end of the pool just to do it. And so he wants his guys to have success. He wants them to be in Nebraska, obviously. He'd love Tony White to be his D.C. next year. But if if one of your guys gets a chance to be a head coaching job and there's only 133 of them or whatever in FBS, you know, that's a big honor. And, and you you understand why a guy is interested if that happens. So. Um, I like how supportive he is of his guys succeeding in that way. He also said, and this is true, if you look at his track record, um, he's always had good defenses. And he expects to have a good defense basically no matter who's coaching. And he expects Tony White's going to have a really good defense next year if he's at Nebraska, and he'll have opportunities that come with it. So Tony White's in a win-win situation right now. I mean, if you look at this roster, yes, they could lose like Ty Robinson if he decides to go to the NFL and Quentin Newsom and Reimer are gone. But I was just like thinking the other day about like the, or I wrote it today, like about Marquise Buford's back, you know, and then you think about, Oh, Deshaun Singleton's going to be next to him and Isaac Gifford, you know, and all that. Like it looks pretty good as you go through and think about the young D line and all that stuff. Tony white, as you know, is a sharp dude and is going to see all that and know that he doesn't have to jump just to jump. And so I, I would fully expect it would have to be a really good job for him to do it because he's got something pretty good working right now. And I think they can actually build on what they've done this year, even though the schedule is going to be harder next season. Yeah. And the other thing with the two places that he's been at in San Diego state and Syracuse, 
you know, you're also in this time in college football where if you go to San Diego State, what does it look like in a few years as we continue to see the divide between the group of five and the power five? And even within the power five, you know, those mm-hmm. conferences and everything else. So what is the real opportunity at San Diego State? And it, does that speak enough uh, to Tony White? And then, of course, at Syracuse, similar thing. They're in a, in a better spot in the ACC. But this is, I think, what the heart of what Matt Rule was really saying. That job is going to probably be there for Tony White in another, you know, time in his life if he really wants it. Um, I also feel like there's a reason he left Syracuse to come to Nebraska. I I don't know that, you know, uh, I I just don't know that that's going to be the fit. Like, I don't know that that one's going to make the most sense for for Tony White. I, I think I understand San Diego State a lot more. He invested a ton of his time, and I think he really feels like he wouldn't be here today. Nebraska's defensive coordinator if it wasn't for his time in San Diego with Rocky Long and really kind of rising the ranks as a coach there I mean he kind of did everything if you look at his career that's where he grew up as a coach and I think he has a lot of lot of lot of respect for that place but Nebraska can certainly make anything interesting financially and he has to ultimately decide you know is San Diego State the start to the next jumping off point can he build something that had been sustainable in the past? Can he build that up again? And what does that look like for him? And so I, I think those are going to be really, really interesting conversations. And Brian, you've talked to Tony a lot. I've talked to Tony. I mean, he is a very thorough individual. I think he is going to take a lot of time with this. Um, and I, I, I'm very curious where this decision ultimately ends up. But right now, I feel like he's going to end up as Nebraska's defensive coordinator again in 2024. I just don't think he's going to leave after one year. I could be wrong, but we'll see. Yeah. So, I mean, as you say, there, there's certain jobs where you could become the head coach and not make as much money as you make as the defensive coordinator at Nebraska or as much as they could pay him. So, um, and I do think he, he really likes Nebraska, the people here. And um, he's beloved right now. I mean, he's very popular. It's not, I mean, anywhere he goes, he's, he's got to be get pretty good treatment. I would think. Cause uh, there's one, there's one thing most people agree on. It's like, I like Tony white, like everybody's yeah. sort of on, in on that. So, uh, so I, it's, it's not a place where you're exactly looking to leave when everybody's kind of patting you on the back. Maybe let's uh, let's hit on a couple other topics and see what rule had to say. Uh, did we get into special teams much on Monday? You know what? We didn't. Um, we got in a lot of like big picture and senior day talk. There wasn't a lot of special teams conversation and that could be reserved for Wednesday. Um, you know, as, as there's going to be another availability with him. Um, but yeah, it was, that was disappointing. I mean, there, there was a net of 12 and a net of 19 in that game from Nebraska's end. And, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if Bushini's trying to get too fine with it this year. What exactly has gone wrong there? Um, the numbers because, are pretty staggering for, yeah, they are because I mean, if you go back to his days, kicking a ball is kicking a ball, you know, whatever your level and you go back to his Montana days, I mean, he, he was 46 yards, like yeah. pun and stuff like that. So, uh, I, I don't know what's happened I, at halftime. Um, I was watching him and he was kind of scuffling a bit at halftime. Like they just weren't coming off his foot. Well, the last one did. He really boomed the last one. I thought, well, maybe that'll pick him up. But um, I, I like Brian a lot, so I hope I hope he has a, a good game, um, you know, against Iowa because he has to. I mean, Iowa's so good at that. Like, you can't 
give up a 10 also to 15. staggering go look at their numbers no yeah. one's punted more and no one is punted better and it's yeah, not even really incredible. close like it, it's incredible like what they're you could go to the conference website and look at their stats for her for punting brian and it's just you know like all you can do is laugh because it's just like they clearly have emphasized this to the point that they view it as a weapon and they really do weaponize it against every one of their opponents i bet if they haven't if they wouldn't have had a great punter like the last three to four years, I bet they would have lost two or three more games a season. Absolutely. I mean, they're so good at it. They gain 10 yards of field position per exchange. More than that, they're experts, uh, not just a punter, but they're gunners and everybody involved at downing it at the two yard line, you know, and then their defense is set up and eventually they make a play on defense where they get that turnover and it's basically a free score for them. And, um, they haven't done that quite as much this year defensively. They're great defensively this year, but they haven't maybe scored as much as they did when that ridiculous stretch last season. Um, but at, at some point you got to tip your hat. Uh, you, you can make fun of the offense all you want, but you say that, that with those two phases of the, of the game, they work in compliment. They complement each other in such a way you got to admire it. And that's where Nebraska, I mean, odds are against them going into it, looking at the numbers, but they've got to step up and have a special game from their punter, from their gunners, from everybody involved and kind of surprise everybody and flip, flip the script there on one that people won't expect it to flip on. Yeah. All right. So he did get into the senior stuff. What, what kind of stood out from what he was saying, obviously, we're we're closing in. Still got two more years left of uh, could walk, could not walk. Yeah, could walk and could come back. Could walk and could never come back. So could walk and could portal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's still two more years of it out there. What did Matt Rule have to say on it? Well, there's 24 guys who are walking, and they weren't named off. Um, yeah, I didn't see the notes. Maybe they are in there. Um, I'll have to take a look. Um, but I think they only have 11 seniors technically. So that tells you that there's some guys who are juniors or, um, there's also sometimes guys who are a little lower down, um, who are maybe, you know, you wonder if they're just done with football or they're thinking about like an FCS venture or something like that. You always see a couple of those. So there's 24 guys walking. He said, that on Sunday, of course, everybody's pretty down. It's a late game. You lose that fashion. You can imagine how guys feel. But he had several guys come into his office and say, I'm I'm running it back next year. Like, I want to do this next year. Now, he didn't say who they were. Um, but he really believes, and this kind of connects to this conversation, um, He, does, I don't think he thinks they're going to have a ton of portal movement, like guys just jumping and wanting to go over here and over there. So um, that's interesting to me. I I think the guys you're obviously looking for are like Ty Robinson. You know, he's a, he's played five years of football. He's a junior. And I feel like he's put enough on film that, that he's going to get drafted. And now this is where people Saturday too. Yeah. Sorry. People always say, no, people always say this though, Schaefer, like when you say like, the first response is there's always somebody like, well, he could come back and be a first or second round draft pick. That's like always, you know, or whatever. That can be true. I'm not debating that, but I think people have to look at it through a different lens than they used to. He's been in college for five years. Some of these guys, there's just that season where it's time to turn, you know, like 
it's time to move on. And um, I'm not saying that's always the case. Like get, people give Garrett Nelson crap maybe because he came out early and it, he didn't get drafted. Well, he'd given a lot to the program over time. And sometimes it's that moment where I'm going to go see if I can make it or not, you know, and whether I do or not, I got to get to the next stage of my life. So everybody's got a very personal decision to make with that. I just think if a guy has played college ball for four or five years, we shouldn't immediately drive to the, Oh, if he would have come back, he could have done this and that I have seen a couple of cases and I'm not going to name them where it hasn't worked out quite as you'd hope when guys have left early. But if Ty Robinson is going to get drafted, I can see where somebody doesn't want to put more miles on their body. And if it's a fourth or fifth round pick or whatever it is, he would say, Hey, let's, uh, let's go get, get on a team, get to camp and just see what I can do at that level. It's time. So you got to have some respect for those sort of decisions and all the ball. I should add, I don't know what Ty Robinson's doing. I'm just using him as an example. Cause he seems like the obvious, like, could he go guy too. Yeah. Nice so it's in the same yeah, case. Yep. So that'll be interesting. If which of those type of guys, uh, walk and, also, they could change their mind. It doesn't mean they're necessarily not coming back. People have to rem remember that. Yeah. Uh, one thing to note, they're going to have to have at least some people leave because if yeah. they're going to take the signing class that they have currently, and if they're going to go into the portal and add a few pieces, they got to have some room and they can't have that many NIL scholarships, I'm assuming. So mm -hmm. uh, they're going to have to come up with, some guys are, are certainly going to be on their way out. And I, I mean, I, I don't know that it's going to be really hard to, to sit through and look at the roster and be like, all right, well, this guy hasn't really done much or whatever. But there's there's always people that move on and there's always off-season medical red shirts and there's always different things that happen. And they'll get to the number they need to. But there certainly will have to be some, some departures besides just exhausting of eligibility for Nebraska to be able to bring in the class that it already has uh, committed, let alone – the ones that they want to continue to add because, oh, by the way, they're going to be bringing in some official visitors on Friday for the weekend. And they're going to have uh, some visitors coming in in December and the portal and everything else. So certainly going to have to look at that as well. Uh, any other things you want to touch on that Matt Rule has spoke about on Monday? I think we hit a lot of the big ones. The, I'm about to write this after we're done here. Ooh, a uh, preview. Depending yeah. on how quickly I put this up. Might not be a preview. It might be just like it's on the site. Um, cause, <laughs> well, not because you're slow. It's <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's not because you're slow. It's because I'm I'm seriously going to write it and my goal is to be done with it within like an hour. So, okay. All right. so that's Sounds like I'm going to turn over the hourglass here and we're going to race, Brian. <laughs> We could do that. Um, anyway, this may or may not be on the site when you hear this. Um, but I asked him a question. You know, after the Illinois game, he referenced a Pat Riley quote or a Pat Riley phrase from back in the day about the innocent climb. And it's it's sort of that um, that time when you're building something and you got to appreciate the steps along the way, even though there's heartbreak and there's lessons learned and stuff like's happened the last three weeks and all that. Um, and he said, you have to appreciate that. That's what he said after the Illinois game. So I asked him if, 
you know, taking that phrase and looking at his team, if, if he believes they've sort of bought into that and see like, even though there's been three tough weeks, like you can see, like, I, this is developing. And that's where he got into a lot of guys, like, um, really being on board and even parents with how this is going. And he said, if you cut open, you know, you cut it open, like you looked inside this program, he said, it's extremely healthy. Um, and he just truly believes it's really a together, um, operation that they want to build it from high school type recruits. They want to develop guys and guys see that. Um, and there's optimism about that. Um, he said at the same time, I'm angry about the record. Two things can be true at once. I believe it's a healthy program. I'm angry about being five and six. They probably think they should be at least, you know, seven and four or something like that. So, um, I thought that was interesting is, and I don't want to paraphrase it all cause I'll mess it up. So the whole quote will be in that story, but, um, just the the way that they're operating, um, I get that you have to sometimes spin it positive, but I do think they believe in their plan and they believe the players believe in their plan. And um, that encourages them even after the last 48 hours are probably kind of tough around there, you know, after a game like that. But you know what this game means Friday, Schaefer. If, if this is one of those where you end up five and seven, you lost all of them in November. It's going to be kind of bleak with fans and media and stuff like that. It's just going to be the way it is. Um, another year without a bowl. If they win and beat Iowa for a second straight year, and on Saturday morning we're talking about where are they going to go, um, some of the last few weeks are kind of going to go by the wayside a little bit like they will actually. I mean, so that's what's at stake on Friday. That's how big this game is. Um, you don't want to say it's all or nothing because it's the 24 is going to come up no matter what happens Friday and they're going to be optimistic. They can win more games and get it going. But for the like narrative and the, the stuff that will be in the air in this state, for the whole off season, there's a lot that matters with Friday's game and, and helping you out in that regard. Yeah. I, I don't know that I, I can't speak obviously for the fan base. So often I try to, um, I don't know that there's been a lot of belief that Nebraska hasn't been largely bought into what they've been building or what they've been doing. I think the feeling, at least the feeling I've had, Brian, the last, really kind of going into the month of November, when you look at the opponents Nebraska's playing, they caught three straight teams that were reeling. Mm -hmm. They caught three straight teams that it looked like they had issues, you know, whether it was in the locker room, whether it was big picture with who their next coach was going to be, whether it was Maryland giving away the start of a season when you were five and oh, to all of a sudden you're looking dead in the face at going five and five uh, with Michigan, you know, and, and uh, whoever they have to finish up, I think it's Rutgers. To, to finish up and you had Michigan state where you didn't seem like they had a lot to play for. And you have Wisconsin where the quotes coming out of there after they lost to Northwestern were about dissension and, and guys needing to pull together in the locker room. Nebraska caught three reeling programs where I would feel like their culture was better. Yeah. And they weren't able to win those games. And I don't know what to do with that to a degree, because a lot of it sort of comes back to, there's a part of me that feels like even against a schedule that it's been pretty bad in some ways, Nebraska has overachieved to even be where they're at at five and six, given the amount of injuries and how much they've sort of had to transition. I mean, you look at the staggering amount of turnovers and possessions given away, uh, even in some of those wins, 
that they were able to, to come out on top of it. It it is a very odd team. Like this, it feels yeah. like they're somehow exactly in the record that they should have, while also probably should be better, but theoretically could have been a lot worse. I don't know if any of that makes any sense, but this is among the stranger teams I think that we have ever covered because it's really hard to get a feel for a team that has kind of been like put together with duct tape and some chewing gum and some pocket lint. And that's your starting offensive line at times. And then your quarterback is just like some found money in your pocket, but sometimes there's a hole in that pocket, you know, like it's just a, those are some weird examples, but they're a strange team. And it does seem like what is being built is bigger than just the wins and losses. But that does nothing for the people that are just waiting to see Nebraska get over the hump and they haven't done it. And so it's such an yeah. odd, you know, to, to try to slice this thing and discuss it uh, without really getting into the wins and losses. It's very difficult to really determine things. But I don't know about you. It feels like Nebraska's grown a lot, and yet they're in the same spot where they've been for years. I, I just yeah. don't know what to do with that. I know what you're saying. I mean, if you took, if you took just – you could separate conversations like you could say, okay, let's just say the talk about the turnover situation and the injuries on offense. And if you kept it right there, you'd think, Oh, they're minus 15 and these guys were out. Uh, and this is what you did at QB all year. Like if you're told this in August, you'd be like, well, were they two and 10, three and nine? So there's that part. And then there's the part where we've actually watched these games where Nebraska, despite some of that has been on the doorstep where it feels like it's right there. Grab it. Like Minnesota, you could go back to the opener. Nebraska was better than Minnesota that night for most of the game. Um, they really were, like in the trenches and in a lot of parts, and they lost. And um, turnover is a big part of it, but that was one of those games where it felt like it was in their hand and then it was lost. Uh, Maryland was not as much in hand as we think about it because they were on the doorstep, but Maryland was also on the doorstep a couple times and fumbled. But nonetheless, it felt like a game that was there to be had wasn't. And then obviously the opportunity in East Lansing with the program that's uh, going through some tough times, you, you feel like you, you let one go there. So um, it is weird. You could like sit, you could explain it in one way and say, yeah, they should be three and nine. You could explain it another way and say they should be playing for the division title on uh, Friday. No questions asked. And the truth and the record sits right in the middle. And maybe that's where it's supposed to be, I guess. Yeah. Um, schedules are going to get harder, I think, than this one. I think it was favorable for them to figure things out on the fly. Um, but it is a complicated discussion because of some of the injuries on offense and everything that's happened. So uh, it's, it's a weird year. We'll have a lot of time to go back and examine every part of it. Um, I do think, you know, I always thought like if you can get to six wins and you have those practices in December and we're talking about where they're going, um, people say, all right, there's the floor that to stand on. Let's see where they can go from there. And so that opportunity is still out there. Um, and you know, this is going to be a close game Friday. It will be the, I mean, I just, I'd be surprised if one team wins by more than four points, honestly, it just feels like a game that'll go down to the wire and, if Nebraska pulls that thing off, I know these people in this state, they're going to be kind of excited again. They're going to be like, all right, I, I've, I was down on you guys the last couple of weeks, but you kind of pulled me back in, you know, a little bit. So um, that's the opportunity before them, but they got to go, go take it. And 
maybe maybe Chubb is the guy this week. We'll see again. Um, we didn't talk about him really, but we can hit that. Yeah, I was going to say, you should give your thoughts on him. I, I did on the Sunday side session, so this floor is all yours. Well, I'll, I thought he was pretty good. Like even in the part, um, even in the part where Nebraska was stagnant and that wasn't really going on offense, it wasn't Chubba's deal necessarily. I, I, and you know, at the end he had to force some tough throws and he, he put the ball around the area. And, um, like, I just thought he, when he went back to throw the ball, I know there were some short passes set up to give him opportunity for success to Billy Kemp. And that was wise. But I also thought when he was asked to throw it downfield, it was one of the first times or only times all year where I wasn't like, I assume something bad is going to happen here. And I'm not trying to be snarky to other other guys because that's just the way I felt. And it's it's just being honest. And on Saturday night, maybe it was because they just started so well and he just looked so comfortable in his skin out there. But I just thought like, yeah, he looks like he belongs. And he did not a year ago. And I think you'd be the first to say, and I know I would for myself, I kind of thought Chuba from last year was Chuba. Like yep. that was a, like, I, I don't do that a lot, but I didn't really have a lot of confidence. Like, you know, people are saying, ah, they should start him against Wisconsin. I was like, yeah, I guess, you know, but, um, I thought I'm not saying he changed it where he should be like the starter in 24 or not. It's just all said and done, but he changed the narrative about himself. He definitely did where you at least, you know, people were talking over him in the QB conversation and now they're not going to, well, we'll see what happens Friday and if he gets the call and, and plays well, but if he can back up what he did in some respects against a very tough defense and just play composed and smart football, it'll go a long way for him and like how people are talking about him throughout the off season. Yeah. I mean, I, I said in the Sunday side session and, uh, I highly recommend people checking that out, of course. But I basically acknowledged I was completely wrong uh, on Chubba for, for 2023. I I did not want to watch him at all. I mean, he put together some of the worst quarterback play, and it wasn't just him. I mean, the offense in general was atrocious. The approach was atrocious. The line play was atrocious, et cetera. Um, but I just didn't think he had it in him, to be honest. And then, of course, that opening drive, you have the 55-yard touchdown, which, by the way, this guy was going to go get groin surgery. I mean, he was out there sprinting past the entire Wisconsin defense. You know, so um, that in itself was was just sort of remarkable. And then he threw he threw passes that were uh, in in the neighborhood of where they needed to be. Some were completely on time. You know, sometimes they're a little behind, a little ahead, whatever. It's going to happen. But he gave you a chance to win, and he played well enough for Nebraska to win. They just don't have that many pieces that they can just go run away and hide. And I understand that to a degree. Uh, but I, I, you know, fully admitted on that podcast, I'll fully admit on this podcast, I was completely wrong. I mean, I just didn't uh, – I didn't think he had that game in him that he did on Saturday. And, you know, I don't want to use the Iowa game as it's going to be any sort of more barometer either. But I hope that it wasn't a mirage. I hope that he's able to follow up on the Wisconsin game and he comes out with confidence and – They've got a bit of a game plan to attack where they can attack. And he has an opportunity to kind of be a hero because, you know, for, for a while, it certainly looked like he had just kind of rode in on his horse and, you know, saved the town and was going to, to be, um, you know, it was going to be the hero. And 
probably should have been. They just couldn't get the job done in in Madison, and we'll see if he's able to in Lincoln. And it it opens up a really interesting conversation about who could be back for Nebraska uh, in terms of what expects to be a pretty wide-open 2024 spring quarterback competition. Uh, But I'll say this. I certainly have a lot more confidence about the idea of Chubba Purdy being your backup quarterback in 2024 or being a part of this whole thing than I did two weeks ago where it was like, yeah, that's one of the guys I can't imagine seeing in this program in 2024. That doesn't feel that way at all, Brian, for me right now, uh, just two games later uh, with, with what he's done. And again, that's that's me saying I was dead wrong. You're an idiot. Thank you. before we go here i watched saturday's game it was a unique experience for me and this rarely rarely ever happens because most of the time i try to be at home not around anybody else so i can just kind of lock in on the game focus whatever i had a bunch of friends that went up to, to, to sioux falls to watch the basketball game i have some friends already in sioux falls went to a bar called stubbies uh this this place and it wasn't just the the group of friends that i had there like there was a lot of nebraska fans that just descended upon this bar mm-hmm. and there was about six to seven locals that would have just been in there on saturday night anyways and their reaction to like the the first 14 points being scored in that game and the way that the the nebraska fans in that bar were just going absolutely bananas was the face of bewilderment from some of these people is just not an expression I'm going to forget. And it just kind of reminds you of like fans are just itching for this opportunity to get to feel good. And they just keep getting teased over and over and over. And, you know, Saturday was, was a great opportunity for that. Like I said, I don't, you know, at home games, I'm in the press box away games. I'm usually just at my house and it's just me uh, and, and slider hiding. Uh, because he hears footballs on TV and Sunday PTSD from Vikings games has him, you know, pretty, pretty concerned when he, he can tell that there's live sports going on. So uh, it's a, it's a unique setup for me to be able to see that, but it just reminded me of, you know, how much fun this could be if Nebraska could ever just kind of put together some wins and stay out of their own way. So shout out to Stubbies and uh, Sioux Falls for handling a much larger crowd on Saturday than they ever bargained for. They had to call in backups. There were like people it, showing up like they're like, yeah, I was out at a bar myself and now I'm here to work. <laughs> that's interesting. Um, yeah, that's uh that's his fan base right now. They're uh they've had some there's some good stuff happening in Husker Athletics too. Um it's you a know, big week. Soccer and volleyball winning the big big ten outright and what they could do in December, and that's been a fun story all year. And then you got men's basketball is giving reasons to hope early on, which we'll get to in another podcast. So um yeah if if football i think at this moment cash in six somehow some way friday these people have been dying for it for three weeks and um hopefully uh those those fans that are left over at stubbies on friday black friday um get something to cheer about yeah all right well be sure to check out all the coverage we have at husker 24 7 plenty of coverage from brunson bc from the uh, presser today with Matt Rule. Of course, there will be coordinators on Tuesday. Rule again on Wednesday. We'll have all of that. We have high school championships going on. There are high school state finals being played uh, here in Memorial Stadium. And so, of course, we'll have coverage of that. The Class A title is on Tuesday. Class B plays Monday night. Uh, you have a handful of recruits playing on Tuesday in the Class A game. You got Caleb Benning and 
Ashton Murphy from Elkhorn South, Caleb mm-hmm. Benning from uh, from West Side. Those are your commits in terms of scholarship guys. Uh, Preston Okafor is a walk-on commit. Of course, you have Christian Jones, and you have Keenan Cotton, and there's also uh, Rezax. I mean, the West Side is just loaded. So if you haven't seen them all year, take the opportunity, throw it on. Uh, they're pretty heavy favorite in this this Class A title game, but we'll see if the Elkhorn Storm uh, can give them a Elkhorn South Storm can give them a battle here on Tuesday. And of course, if you miss it, I'll have some coverage for you here at Husker 24 seven as well. For Brian Christopherson, I'm Mike Shaver. We're Husker 24 seven. We'll have more content throughout the week. 